Our story begins 25 years ago, in a distant land filled with magic, anthropomorphic beavers, conflicted dragons, and all sorts of other fantastical creatures. Every intelligent creature in the world heard The Voice, a psychic broadcast that promised unlimited wealth and power to whoever could break the Seven Seals. The Voice sparked a brief golden age of adventuring, with people of every cut of cloth traveling around the world trying to find out exactly what these Seven Seals were. Then war broke out between the dominant nation, the Red Kingdom, and the Unjanath, a secretive, isolationist culture of elves who lived in a forgotten, far-off corner of the world. That war waged on for nearly 20 years, with no one understanding how it started, until finally a peace treaty, brokered by Princess Ravello Red, brought an end to the hostilities. The princess disappeared shortly thereafter, and then the Unjanath retreated from their home, that remote corner of the world known as the Outlands. That brings us to today, where the Outlands Exploratory Company seeks to catalog the Outlands and uncover its secrets, discover its true nature, battle the powerful foes that live there, and simply try to stay alive week from week. Welcome back to the Outlands, everyone. Uh, my name is Christian Hoffer, and you are listening to the first official episode of Tales from the Outlands. This is a unique D&D podcast in which uh, myself and some guest hosts uh, talk about our uh, very complex weekly D&D campaign. This is not a Let's Play campaign uh, or Let's Play podcast, nor is it like a... Um, D&D news yeah a rules discussion very yeah like a, a discussion about D&D this is kind of like a um a recap slash campaign setting uh podcast uh this week uh I am joined uh as always by Luke Herr who is our producer and editor hello and also this week uh I am joined by Shay Bartlett who is one of our players uh so Shay and Luke since this is our first episode uh, why don't you, you tell everybody a little bit about yourselves? Hi, my name is Shay. Uh, do you want me to start with my character or about me as a person? Uh, yes. Okay, both. Uh, I'm Shay. I live in Washington, D.C. I like comics and movies and reading and yoga. And um, I'm a relative newcomer to Dungeons & Dragons. This is probably my second campaign I've been on, and it's been a lot of fun so far. I play a character, Ellie, who is a half-elf monk in search of her backstory. And we'll talk more about Ellie later in this episode. Uh, Luke? Yes, uh, my name is Luke here. I use he, him pronouns typically, and I am a podcaster, writer, also comics fan, and I do a lot of things. I am also the producer for the show, and I am on my second character in the campaign. I am currently playing a stout halfling ranger artificer named Cleaver. So uh, if you listen to our pilot episode, that kind of explained what has happened in the campaign before. Um, uh, we kind of split our uh, campaign into uh, seasons of play uh, in which like major plot lines kind of uh, resolve themselves over time. Uh, we just started season three uh, last week, and that is why we are starting this podcast, because uh, it's a good time to start it. Um, since this is the first episode, let me explain the format of the show. Um, every episode, at least for the time being, we're going to split up the podcast into three parts. Uh, the first is uh, recaps. This D&D campaign runs three nights a week, with three separate groups of players. And so every week we will talk about those games, kind of like um, you know, a, a recap slash healthy discussion about what happened. Um, uh, the, the second part will then be a deep dive into some of the lore of the game. 
Uh, when we talk about how this is kind of like a campaign setting podcast, this is the sort of stuff that you'd read when you'd be reading through a campaign setting about the Outlands, which is uh, the world in which our campaign takes place. Finally, the last part of our episode, we'll be talking about uh, one of the characters. Um, and so each week we're going to bring a different player on and have them talk about their character. And, you know, usually the deep di- lore deep dive and the character stuff uh, may or may not tie in together. Uh, the the uh, player who will be the uh, guest host every week gets to pick out what lore we're talking about. So this week, uh, Shay picked out the Unjanath and uh, how that ties in with her character, Ellie. So uh, let's get started, shall we? Uh, since this is our very first episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Season three kicked off with... Uh, a, a, uh, it was it was a pretty big season opener, let's say. The party, having returned from this successful, complex, multi-night mission, uh, all three parties returned to their home, uh, the outpost, and discovered that it had been the victim of a massive attack by um, clockwork constructs, which we will refer to moving forward as the clockwork army. A lot of NPCs unfortunately, did not survive this attack, uh, as the outpost was vulnerable, as 18 of their most capable warriors uh, were away. Actually, even more than 18, because multiple, even NPC, uh, some NPCs were also involved uh, with this mission that the uh, players were taking part in. So uh, I guess the first thing, before we jump into the actual uh, recaps, is uh, what NPC deaths uh, impacted you guys the most? So, Kleber is a character I think does a lot off screen that is not necessarily relevant to what we have referred to as our downtime, which is sort of our what has your character been doing in the week since the last time that we played, since this is essentially a each session takes place over the past week of uh, real time. So that rough analogy is open. Uh, I think that Cleaver is a person who has had some various relationships that haven't been established thoroughly within continuity, for lack of a better term. But I think she has lost a lot of people who she has been social with because she is someone who cooks a lot and goes hunting and provides a lot to the community directly with her free time. Well, and the uh the the main chef of the out of the outpost uh gar Lydon, was one of the casualties of this attack yeah but she didn't like him i never <laughs> knew that yeah you never asked but i mean she's she has what she likes to cook and is very opinionated and i mean part of her's like oh now we can actually get some good food around here wow well, that's, harsh that's a little sociopathic uh shay how about you um so i was really bummed about the dryad nutella dying because she was one of the first npcs i encountered on my very first mission um i was with the party and we went out in search of um in the wally woods and ran into her we actually rescued her so her dying is like an emotional gut punch to like the entire arc of the outlands for me because like one of the first NPCs I encountered is just dead. Yeah. Um, no. Which is sad. Um, she was she was an NPC that uh, impacted multiple groups as well. Uh, one of the interesting things about this campaign is that uh, a lot of, since we have three groups who interact with a common, not only a common region, but, you know, they interact with the same NPCs. Um, you know, some NPCs, uh, you know, are important to different groups for different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Nutella was the very first NPC that the Buddy Brigade ever encountered, but she was also central to one of the first uh, plot lines resolved by the Terror Team, which is our Friday group. In the Friday campaign, the second session, so the, like, very first non-introductory session that the group went on, uh, they saved a... um, they, they, they saved a tree ant named Christopher Pine, named after the upcoming star, uh, the star of the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons live action movie. Um, and Christopher Pine, the tree ant, had a brother named Birch Reynolds who had disappeared. 
And Nutella was key to not only finding Birch Reynolds, but rescuing uh, Birch Reynolds from the fate that had befouled him. Um, and that, you know, she was successful in that. Um, and that, that was like one of the first like multi-part plot lines that the terror team resolved. And so they were, they were pretty upset by Nutella passing as well. I would also add that uh, one of the Elanome sisters dying off would have meant a lot more to Kor if he was still in his right mind, but that is not Kor's current situation. Yes, no. Go ahead, Shay. I was going to say, like, my character is friends with one of the sisters, but not the one who died, so, like, she's trying to be a supportive friend right now through all of it. And then there's another NPC who we rescued early on, but he's in a coma. And I feel like I'm going to be very curious and trying to figure out how to fix that. Well, uh, that, that's a, that's a leading statement, Shay. Um, we'll, we'll get to we'll, that later. We'll, we'll get to that later. I, I feel that, uh, <laughs> we had some technical difficulties the first time we tried to record this. So this is actually a second recording. And so I feel some conversations from our uh, 0.5 episode uh, may have, uh, have had triggered something in Shay's mind. Uh, but we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Um, I have a big shit-eating grin right now <laughs> on my face. You can't tell. <laughs> um, so all three groups pursued different story threads that kind of tied into the outpost attack in some way. Uh, the first group uh, who's not represented uh, in the podcast, uh, in today's episode of the podcast at least, uh, is the terror team. Now the terror team is, uh, as their name suggests, is very much the um, punch it in the face group. Uh, if if uh, I believe we have referred to them as the spear of the Outlands Exploratory Company. On multiple occasions. They are the arrow to the Buddy Brigade's flash to the Toon Squad's Legends of Tomorrow. Yes, yes. If if you if you watch the CW Arrowverse, uh, that is a that is a very accurate comparison. Um, so the terror team uh, uh, embarked on uh, a, a time honor tradition, and that group of players that group of players have been playing together for about four years now. And uh, this is not the first time that that group has gone on a revenge tour. Um, and so they immediately sought out the Clockwork Army, hoping to find the, the person responsible. Um, as the Clockwork Army are, are their, uh, their, their machines, their robots. Uh, and uh, they are controlled by a separate entity, a, a person who they believe is named Murgle Rackhook. Although that hasn't been confirmed yet as, as the person controlling uh, the Clockwork Army has uh, not given a ton of details about themselves. They followed the uh, some very obvious uh, trails uh, left by the Clockwork Army uh, during their retreat and found a massive clockwork construct on the beach. In the process, they did discover that Claudius Dragonsbane, who was the lead adventurer of the Outlands Exploratory Company, and technically all the players' boss, uh, all the players' boss. I think I said that right. Um, uh, he he unfortunately also died. Uh, he tried to follow the Clockwork Army back to their lair and uh, was ambushed and killed. They engaged in a really big fight on the beach in which they fought a, um, a, a giant clockwork machine um, with tentacles and steam breath. And there were several other uh, clockwork uh, constructs which shot fire. It looked like the, at one point in time, it looked like the party was going to be forced to retreat. And then the clockwork construct actually grabbed one of their uh, party members and knocked him unconscious and forced the party to rally um, and uh, rescue him. And they eventually, after probably a 45, 50 minute fight, defeated this clockwork construct. Now, there was something interesting about this giant clockwork machine, this clockwork leviathan. Um, uh, for those who are like looking like what exactly did they fight? It was a clockwork leviathan. And that was that this clockwork machine actually had a pilot. And this was the first time that they have actually seen a humanoid actually seeming to actively uh, control one of these. The clockwork leviathan unfortunately did blow up with the pilot inside, but that uh, session ended with the party who now has, uh, they just leveled up to level five. So they now have access to third level spells. 
So death does not stop uh, the terror team from interrogating who they want to interrogate. So they uh, return to the outpost with the charred head of a Duragar, which they plan to in- uh, interrogate during their next session. So that was the Friday night game. Uh, Luke, you were an active player in the Sunday night game. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Ah, uh, yeah. So the Buddy Brigade and a few other members have been in contact with Kartram, who's a vampire who lives in an area called the Sharn Barrows that we haven't really investigated much. And we've had regular correspondence with him up until about a month ago when he stopped responding to the letters that we sent. And so the team decided to travel out and check on their vampire friend at his tower, which is this massive ancient black tower in the Sharn Barrows. Along the way, one of our newer members, Latorin, who'd previously taken a long few months sabbatical after her brain was used to uh, attack a hive mind of bee people called the Tuskuli. Uh, she now has a new curse applied to her where if she does not kill these six ghost warriors within six months, she will be forced to die and join their ranks. So uh, Christian had apparently been wanting us to stumble into that for a while, but our roles were really mixed that night. Yeah, it, it was really funny because the group, as you mentioned, hadn't really... Um, explored the Sharn Barrows yet. And that was an idea that I came up with, uh, I want to say back in August, uh, and decided to seed into the Sharn Barrows. I thought this idea of ghostly warriors trying to add members to their ranks would be a cool um, storyline, especially as it could be resolved uh, within the exploration phase as opposed to uh, not necessarily a like main mission. I've been trying to figure out some more things to do during the exploration phase, mm. because uh, when you're coming up with those, uh, uh, as a little side tangent, uh, every session has what we call uh, the exploration phase, which each person uh, does a specific task, um, whether that is navigating, uh, scouting, uh, foraging, something of that nature, And uh, it is really hard to come up with 18 of those every single week. (laughs) So uh, this was an idea to kind of like help pad that out. I do feel bad that it happened to Latorin, though. That's that was sad. Yeah, that was rough. Mm -hmm. Um, So what else happened, Luke? Uh, So arriving at the tower, we came across some incredibly hungry wolves and Cleaver being the chef of the party decided to speak with animals, find out that they were very hungry, and just gave them a bunch of meat because they're like, hey, we know the master here protecting in the castle, so we'll give you some meat. You don't need to fight us because you look tired and everybody wins. And they were willing to accept that. And so we went into the tower and found out some interesting information about Kartram. Uh, In this tower, there was a chapel that was blocked off that leads its way into uh, the Twisted Caves, which seems to hold another one of the seals. And because of the way this was locked off, we aren't sure if Kartram is aware of the seal or not, but that is where we are going on next week's mission as the Buddy Brigade, so I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes tonight as of when we're recording this episode. And then proceeding up into the tower looking for Kartram, We came across his vampire spawn and Cleaver, seeing that these vampire spawn were very hungry and were willing to fight, decided to offer up her blood and everybody in the party called her crazy and was like, what the hell are you doing, Cleaver? Until she had essentially cured two of them with her bloodlust by just being like, all right, have some blood. I'm throwing blood on you. I'm dousing you with blood. Uh, The party killed one of the vampires but the uh, other two, one of them seems to have a connection to one of our NPCs, Ellie Windrow, which is different than Shay's character, Ellie. But uh, this uh, vampire spawn does not have many memories of who they were in the past. So that's, uh, that's going to be interesting. And then further into the tower, we went and broke into Kartram's secret laboratory where he is working on developing 
or attempting to develop his own seals for unknown purposes. And then we ultimately found him after visiting something called the Hall of Heroes, which had a large number of mysterious NPCs, some of which we've met, some of which we haven't, and uh, some of which would be relevant later in the night, like a certain vampire. And after proceeding through there, we finally found Cartram, who had been staked through the heart, but his head had not been decapitated, meaning that he was essentially stuck in a living coma for the past month or so. We resuscitated him and found out that a mysterious traveler had come in and was interested in talking to Cartram, because Cartram is, amongst many other things, a researcher and a dabbler. He owns a special library in a ruined city, and uh, like he, he enjoys finding out new things. And so he ultimately got betrayed. A bunch of his magical items were stolen from him. And he was thankful for our help, but also he had been gone for a month and he had a lot of shit to take care of. So we got out of there relatively quickly. So uh, what do you think Cartrum wants to do with making his own seal? I really don't know, because what we know about the seals is still very limited. We know that we found the seal of water, which was able to open a uh, doorway to the elemental plane of water. And in the point five episode, we found out that the former Tuskuli seal, the bee people seal that uh, has been taken, was likely the seal of the beast lands. We know that uh, that was able to turn a group of human Unjanath, we'll talk about the Unjanath later, into these bee people to develop a hive mind to protect themselves. Uh, so he might be trying to use it as some sort of advanced ritual magic, or it could be something maybe if he's trying to connect to a negative energy plane to be able to harness that to maybe resurrect a vampire Maybe uh, we had seen a portrait of him in our journey with another vampire who we're assuming is his partner. And it could be that a vampire that we saw mentioned on the Hall of Heroes has some sort of relationship with Cartram and he needs to find a more advanced way to return an undead from total death to undeath. So that that brings up uh, that that's a good lead in to uh, what the Tuesday group, uh, which we called the Toon Squad, uh, what they were up to this week. Now, usually uh, Shay plays on Sundays with Luke. Uh, however, uh, this week, uh, Shay actually uh, switched teams, so to speak, and hopped in to the uh, Tuesday uh, Tuesday session. And uh, Shay, what did you guys do on Tuesday? Well, on Tuesday, we went on a hunt for the Black Dragon. Um, in previous uh, missions, um, we had heard that there was a Black Dragon hiding among us in the Outlands, but we didn't know who. And because we were distracted with Abolus and various SEAL missions and, you know, character drama, we didn't really investigate it too much. However... When the Outlands were attacked, it triggered and freaked out the Black Dragon. So she stomped, rampaged around the Outlands, and then, you know, went somewhere. And that was when the Toon Squad decided, we're going to search for this Black Dragon and figure out if they were friend or foe. Um, so the Toon Squad ventured into the Sunken Swamp to locate this Black Dragon. And it was really interesting for me because I was like, leading tracking it and my character is not a tracker it was literally the first time i had ever tracked so I, i'm surprised we found out the uh found the dragon when we did um along the way we found black black void pits which will be interesting to find out along the way my sap demon friend because yes i do have a sap demon friend um tried to get me to throw one of our teammates in there but i didn't do that because that would be wrong um but along the way we found the dragon and when we found the dragon it was bad because the dragon was trapped by a evil statue and these two pairs of ghouls and the, the toon squad we talked and we figured out well the dragon is trapped 
So we should probably save the dragon um, because the dragon's not doing anything bad right now. And when they were living among us in the outpost, um, dragon didn't, dragon wasn't harming us. Whereas the ghouls seem to be actively harming something. Um, so we got into the ghouls and we destroyed the statue, which was a sentinel that was doing some mind controlly things. And they ended, the sentinel ended up like mind controlling some of our teammates to attack others. Um, which was stressful because no one wants to be attacked by their teammates and no teammate likes to have their character taken over. So eventually we killed the ghouls and figure out who they were. And they were followers of the vampire Golthias and we saved the dragon. Now the dragon revealed to us that um, Golthias was a vampire she had killed in the past and they were searching for the dragon and hoped to use her in some sort of wild resurrection ritual which probably wouldn't be a good thing then the dragon departed and left and flew off because black dragons um are freaked out like that and don't like being trapped so it left us figuring out what's going to happen with these ghouls and Golthias. this is really interesting because um as you just heard the buddy brigade had gone um to venture into um meet the vampires and they found out something about Golthias that you know he's dead so it's like tying the two storylines together which was completely unintentional on our part yeah that was that was a a pretty cool uh moment of you know just uh it it, it was a really good demonstration of how the different campaigns or different sessions uh seem to weave together um to form these ongoing storylines um, in which you don't need to listen into every uh, one of the sessions in order to get the story. Um, but, you know, those who pay attention to what goes on uh, outside of their night of play um, will learn a lot more about the Outlands and um, get a much deeper story than what you would experience by only uh, listening in one night a week. Luckily for, you know, because we, we do not expect uh, our players to, like, sit through six hours of... Uh, <laughs> you know, listening to D and D every every week that's that's a pretty big time commitment. So we do do recaps um, uh, of of the sessions, and we do actually keep a uh, a a database of sorts, a Wikipedia that we uh, do a decent job of keeping updated. Uh, so, what were your biggest takeaways from this weekend sessions? I'm really interested in the Buddy Brigade mission and some of the people they found out in the hall of heroes because that's how it ties to my backstory and learning more about um our npc ellie windrow and i can't and we'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit mm -hmm. and i'm i'm just here to get some more seal uh cleaver is essentially sentenced to the outland until a Unknown sentence is resolved, so if they are supposed to be protecting these seals, she's ready to get this one, stick it in the bank, and then get a treat from the prize vendor. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you, you just touched on uh, something that happened during... Uh, we're, we're recording this on a Sunday, which means we're in the middle of our... Uh, uh, of our D and D weekend, so to speak, and so uh, the terror team, their session, which we will cover in our next episode, was retrieving a a prize from the prize vendor, so to speak. But we'll talk more about that next episode. Uh, let's let's move on and dive into some Outlands lore. Uh, one of the fun things about the Outlands, uh, this Outlands campaign in general, is that the lore is very uh, take what you will. Um, you can uh, enter the session basically knowing nothing about the Outlands. Um, and while the lore does kind of inform uh, some of the uh, missions that the players might participate in, uh, you don't really need to know a lot about uh, the, 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 the lore of the Outlands in order to have fun. Um, and that's great because, you know, there are a lot, since we have 18 players, there's a lot of different styles of play. There are people who love the lore and just can't get enough of the mysteries of the Outlands and are trying to solve every little thing. And then there are those people who are just like, this is a fun thing to do for a few hours a week, and I don't really have time to uh, commit to a fictional universe uh, that's just filled with this complex lore. Um, but um, we're going to take the opportunity 
because I love talking about the lore. I think Luke loves talking about the lore. Otherwise, I don't think he would have suggested doing this podcast in the first place. Um, we're going to do some deep dives into some of the lore of the Outlands. And Shay, what did you pick this week? I picked the Unjanah because that's relevant to the whole background of the Outlands. Um, so, I, no, go ahead. I was going to say, the Unjanoth are a race of elves um, who very much tie to everything we're involved in. So, why don't we start? Uh, the the Unjanoth are one of like the great mysteries of the Outlands. They haven't really been experienced uh, a lot. We haven't really seen very much of them. Uh, but they do still have a large presence in the campaign so far. Um, so... What at at the out at the outset of the campaign, what did we know about the Unjanoth? Um, what we knew was that they were a race of elves. They were they used to live in the Outlands and they basically colonized it in a way. And then something bad happened. Um, they got into a fight with the um a different kingdom. Got to the Red Kingdom. The Red Kingdom got into a massive war that blew up in their faces, and then they retreated to the forest, and we've only met, like, three of them since. Yeah, so they, uh, you know, as if you listen to our intro, because we're, we're, we we play an intro at the beginning of every episode, um, you know, the, the Unjanath entered into this long, bloody conflict uh, with the Red Kingdom, and uh, the the... It was only resolved through a uh, rather controversial peace treaty with Princess Ravella Red, who is another character who's had a presence in the campaign, but hasn't been directly interacted with so far. Uh, so they retreated uh, from the Outlands to uh, what are known as the Three Great Forests, one of which is located somewhere in the Outlands. Um, at first, it seemed uh, to, the, to the public eye, and from what the party knew when they started this campaign, uh, the, the Unjanath seemed to be the aggressors, which was strange because they were this isolationist culture of elves who uh, lived in the outlands and basically just wanted to be left alone. And suddenly they were uh, appearing in cities, killing dozens, if not hundreds of people. The The entire war kicked off with, a, with an assassination of the king of the Red Kingdom, King Aranold Red. And... Very early on, it was the Buddy Brigade who learned of the true cause of uh, the, the war between these two groups. Uh, and, and you know, uh, is that a cat purring? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I am glad that, you know, I, I like to imagine, that, uh, is this Sansa? Yep. Sansa, who is actually another NPC in our campaign... Um, you know, I like to imagine that Sansa is sitting there listening to this with her AirPods on, um, and is purring because she also likes hearing about the deep lore of, uh, of this campaign. Um, but it was the Buddy Brigade who, uh, kind of discovered what the true cause of this war was, um, which, uh, Ellie, uh, since, uh, you brought up a, a certain NPC, uh, what, what, what happened here? Oh, um, let me, I don't have that off the top of my head, actually. <laughs> uh, I can go into that since there's now going to be her sounds getting picked up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Cleaver, uh, or Luke. <laughs> Luke, uh, what, what happened? What, what kicked off this conflict? Yeah, Cleaver would not remember that. Cleaver is very much a low lore character for everything that is unimportant. Uh, so members of the Red Kingdom had come in and broken the seal of water because the voice said, hey, if you break all these seals and you're going to get truth or you're going to get rich and you're going to get powers and you're going to get treasure at the end of One Piece. And uh, <laughs> that's what started off the war. And then they murdered a member of the Red Kingdom, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so the Unjanath in response yep. to that killed King Arnold Red. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the uh, because of this in conflict, this this big fight, uh, a few few crazy things happened. Uh, for one thing, when the seal got broken, that led to the creation of the Sunken Swamp, which is one of the first uh, regions that uh, you know was explored by the our various parties, and it's it's literally a depression in the ground. 
um, that uh, has become swampland, likely due to the influence of the elemental plane of water. Um, also during that conflict, um, uh, the Unjanath captured one of those adventurers, whose name is Billis Anatar. Uh, through a series of just disappointing circumstances for poor old Billis. Um, and Billis is definitely one of our sad sack NPCs where just a lot of bad things happen to so him. So many bad things. Uh, the poor guy just can't catch a break. Uh, hmm. Billis was captured by the Unjanath, was imprisoned for decades, and then eventually was let go as part of the peace treaty where he settled in the sunken swamp and then he was... Um, uh, after the, again. he was captured again by the Sahuigan, um, and that led the party to need to come and rescue them. Um, uh, anyway, sorry about that. Um, so uh, the party during their first trip to the Sunken Swamp, and not their first trip, but one of the first major uh, buddy brigade missions was they were exploring the Sunken Temple, which was actually the headquarters of these like Sahuigan, which had migrated to the Outlands from the Elemental Plane of Water. They rescued Billis, captured the pieces of the, uh, the, the these uh, these fragments of the seal, and it was really a smash and grab mission that uh, we talked a little bit about in our pilot episode, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that that really set the tone for the relationship uh, with the Suhu again. But we're not here to talk about the Suhu again. We're here to talk about the Unjanath. Um, so. That was kind of like, you know, so we learned that the Unjanath weren't actually the aggressors. They were responding to a perceived act of aggression that, that the Red Kingdom did. And then over the course of kind of season two, uh, which focused a lot on this ruined city known as Untol Valara, which used to be an Unjanath city, they learned a little bit more about the Unjanath past. Now, the Unjanath... Um, originally, Untol Valara was this massive city, the, the easily the size of any city of um uh you know in the civilized world so to speak not saying that the you know unjanath aren't civilized but no one knew that the city existed um and it used to be this beautiful city filled with magical buildings uh great libraries and who knows what else because the city was destroyed and it was the unjanath themselves who destroyed it um using something from the elemental plane of air and that's when we kind of learned something about the Unjanath between this, you know, very destructive war that led to them basically abandoning their mission to protect the Seven Seals, um, along with the destruction of what is likely one of their biggest cities. We learned that the Unjanath are kind of self-destructive. They burn it all to the ground. Yeah, they, 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 as a culture, they don't seem to make the best choices. Mm-hmm. We, we also learned something interesting about that while it was assumed that the Unjanath were originally this race of elves, and in fact, you know, the Unjanath were notable because they all had these, these very distinctive swirl tattoos around their eyes and their temples, and it almost looked like a mask. They didn't always used to be elves. What we assumed was a race was actually a culture that is now solely comprised of elves, but at one point in time included humans and dwarves and other normal races that you'd find in the D&D campaign. And at some point in time, it transitioned from this multiracial group to a group solely of elves. And the reasons behind that isn't entirely known. We did find that, uh, like I'd mentioned before, a group of human Ujanath, maybe not all of them, went off and was like, hey, we've got a seal, let's just become bee people and have a hive mind. Vibes. Just vibes all the time. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, the, the over the course of Season 2, the party learned, uh, the, the groups learned, that the Tuscali, which is a race of bee people that were very hostile uh, to the group, uh, were originally Ujanath humans. Uh, they were actually the survivors of uh, Untol Valara, who survived the destruction of their city by their own people. And in re- response to that, they basically uh, took one of the seals, uh, transformed themselves into a race of bee people, uh, losing their humanity, but gaining uh, some extra abilities such as a, a hive mind that persisted from generation to generation to ensure uh, that they uh, would never forget what happened to them. And they actually uh, became responsible for the protection of one of these seals, uh, the seal of nature. Uh, 
due to some circumstances, and we will probably talk about this at a later time, the Tuscally, unfortunately, are, uh, let us say, off the board for the time being. Uh, and the company uh, took the seal for sa- and brought it back to the outpost for safekeeping. And, uh, well, it's no longer at the outpost due to uh, the uh, Clockwork Army's attack. That seemed to have been one of the goals of the Clockwork Army. Mm-hmm. So... The Unjanoth haven't had a direct presence in the campaign yet, but we have met a few Unjanoth. Um, and I was about to say, what what are the impressions that you guys have had of the Unjanoth so far? Because you you you, you both of your play characters are very well acquainted with at least one one person, uh, uh, one Unjanoth. Yeah. Oh. I was gonna say yeah. We've uh, run into Ellie Windrow and then Quillick and. Quillick is the sole um, protector of the ruins of the city the Unjanoth destroyed, and Ellie Windrow is a scout um, for the outpost. And I will say they're very different in personality, but I think the one thing they do have in common is that they're very cagey about their past (laughs) and the Unjanoth, and they don't really like giving answers. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, Quillick is just so, so tired of eating chul week after week. Week after week. Yes, uh, Quillick, so uh, one of the uh, defining characteristics of uh, the ruins of Untold Valara is that for a very long time, it was infested uh, by chul. And so Quillick would basically go through this nightly ritual of trying to thin the chul herd and then eat the chul that he had killed because um, it was a very noxious but uh nutritional source of uh food um so uh ellie on the other hand is a very interesting character probably one of the most interesting npcs in the campaign it is not public knowledge that she is a member of the unjanoth uh to hide her tattoo she actually wears this um mask uh kind of made it's uh very similar to if you've ever watched any one of the gundam series uh, the masks that uh, one character inevitably wears in those to hide their identity. Um, so this kind of like hard white mask uh, that covers the top portion of her face. But she is very much a respected member of the company. Likely the reason why she hides her identity is because the company uh, is a is chartered by the Red Kingdom. And while uh, there seems to be some resolution uh, between the two groups, um, you know, I'm, I don't think that... Uh, people would look fondly upon her. Um, if, um, if it was... quick, quick question. Are you talking about a Zex Marquis mask? Yeah, basically. Uh, a okay. little bit different A little bit different than his because he's got the full helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's um, uh, uh, that, that, that brand. If you ever, if you take a look at mask Gundam characters, I actually, I actually got uh, some art of Ellie commissioned mm-hmm. um, during, during the pandemic and um, they're like, okay, I need, I need some sort of reference. Is this like a domino mask? Is this like a superhero mask? And so I actually found one, and I forget, I can't remember which Gundam series I pointed to, but I did find like artwork, and it's like Zex Marquis and like six or seven other masked characters from the Gundam franchise, and they all they all play like basically the exact same role in these these series, and it's one of those. But yeah, it's it's very much a Zex Marquis mask. Excellent. Um, so, uh, what what are you guys' major theories about the Unjanoth? Since uh, Ellie, you uh, Shay, since you picked this topic out, what what are your big theories about the Unjanoth here? So, I don't know too much about them yet. However, I'm very intrigued to know what they're doing in um, hiding out in the woods. They're already very isolationist, but, you know, they still exist. And they still have, like, a few people out and about controlling things. So I feel like they're building towards something. But I don't know what it is yet. Um, They do have a massive connection to, like, different planes. um, Which is very fascinating to me. And one of our missions, Ellie Windrow took us to, like, this um, awesome map that showed, like, the different... um, Universes and planes we can connect to, like the Fey Realm and where the Sahoyan is from, and the Water Realm, and so I really want to know if they're doing more with that, and what can become of it. I know the Unjanoth are like protectors of the seals, 
but all these seals are just left around everywhere. So, like, what's going on? What about you, Luke? I mean, I think we're probably going to have to get into a big fight with them at some point because they are very isolationist. I think they are probably hiding a few seals. It's easier to live in a society that is all clamped down and basically living under a totalitarian state to protect something as opposed to living in a free and open state where you can trust people from outside. But I think they've probably become very isolationist as a whole and that's going to lead us into a lot of conflict because as long as they can keep one of the seals safe, they're going to be fine. And so that's all they're focusing on at this point. I also think we'll probably find some other group of the Unjanath protecting the fire seal, I guess it would be, because we know that there is a fire god living in a volcano protected by salamander people that I think could probably be connected to that. It will be very interesting when we run into the Unjanath again, because as we've mentioned earlier in the podcast, the three different parties have very different playing styles and how Mm -hmm. we interact with people. Like the Buddy Brigade, we're going to go in more friendly and interested, probably, especially in regards to my character. Um, Parateam's just going to wreck stuff. And then Toon Squad... (laughs) They're still trying to figure out how they approach things. They probably, they have an approach that's more similar to the Buddy Brigade, I think. Mm-hmm. But you never know. There's a lot more people who've moved off from uh, the Buddy Brigade than the Terror Team to form the Toon Squad. Yeah, yeah. no, that was, uh, the, the Toon Squad is very much an offshoot of the Buddy Brigade that is starting to form their own distinct personality. The The, the Toon Squad, for those, we, we briefly mentioned this in our pilot episode, but the Toon Squad has only been playing for uh, that third session has only been around for going on two months now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it takes some time for uh, D&D uh, parties to form their own unique personality. Mm-hmm. Speaking of unique personality, let's move on to the final segment of the night, um, which is talking about Shay's character, Ellie. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, uh, so I guess the first question that I have to ask you, Shay, is why did you pick the Unjanath as the lore deep dive for your episode? Is there a reason for that? And does that tie into Ellie's background? It does. Um, so in order to make a more cohesive podcast episode, um, I picked the Unjanath for lore because Ellie is part Unjanath. Um, which is something she discovered while on this campaign. You see, Ellie is an orphan, or maybe not an orphan. She was abandoned as a ch- as a baby um, at a monastery, and part of her mo is trying to figure out why and who left her, and why did they leave her, and are they still alive? So that's her big quest. So. How I I can't remember, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. When did you find out that Ellie's past was tied to the Unjanath? That her parents mm-hmm. seemed to at least one of their members seemed to be a member of the Unjanath. I don't remember the exact mission it was on. I think maybe it was something. Um, was it Ashmaker, who was a red dragon, who we're kind of friends with, kind of indicated about me. Um. But yeah, I don't remember the exact mission it was that I found that out. And that's on me for not writing it down. Um, The biggest backstory um, reveal for me was when we kept visiting the ancient ruins. Um, Because as we mentioned, the (laughs) Janoth completely destroyed the city. So um, the city still has some spirit guardians there. And they hate the Janoth for understandable reasons. And therefore, they've been total jerks to Ellie every time she encounters them. Yeah, basically, anytime you guys walk into an infrastructure building, people start booing Ellie. Like, you know, it's like, you know, I can't wait till you get into, like, the, the sewage plant and the, the guardian of the sewers is just like, oh, here is real filth walking through the door now. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, that... I, I personally, as the DM of this campaign, always feel bad because Ellie is probably one of the most bubbly characters. And, you know, um, you know, her because she's got such an outgoing and bright personality. And um, 
seeing her getting treated like uh, trash basically because of her 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 family is it's it's rough to watch as a mm-hmm. dm I, it is fun to play off as a character though because it allows her to like feel some more complex emotions so like if i were a, as a, a person watching this i'm like oh poor kid because like she's like 20 so she's you know young and idealistic and naive and still loves the world um but yeah she, you're just like watching her and like on an outsider it's sad to see but as like a player character it's really fun because it gives her some more meaty material because she's like confused, but also indignant and angry, but trying to understand because she's an empathetic person. So what was your most memorable moment playing as Ellie in the campaign so far? Um, so I really enjoyed going to the library. Um, one, because I found, uh, so the library is completely empty. And because I'm a monk, one of my highest skills is dexterity, which helps with stealth. Um, so I found some doorknobs. Or, no, door hinges. Door hinges, yeah. It became a running joke the entire thing because we couldn't figure out what to do with the door hinges. Um, And then we had to figure out how to summon the guardian of the library because the guardian would answer any one question. And we were worried about being cursed because we were totally going to steal some books because the Buddy Brigade also really likes lore for the most part. There's a bunch of members who are lore-heavy. So we're trying to get the books, but we didn't want to be cursed by a guardian. Um, and eventually we used the door hinges to make a spine it, um, of a book and create a fake book. And then we learned from the guardian, um, Ellie found out that the reason her parents gave her up is because she wouldn't be allowed to exist. Um, which is pretty daunting and like hard to stomach for her. So it was like a really big, oh, sh- crap moment for her so earlier in this episode you mentioned that you had a theory about your parentage which may have been a theory that you didn't have before the first time that we recorded this podcast i I feel like you know this is a good time to to talk about who do you think your parents are i have no clue who my mother is right now however a while ago as in a few days ago christian told me that I, my father is alive, and I have met him. So being an awesome DM that he is, Christian, ha- with the help of various members, have created a very expansive wiki, which we are probably going to link at some point. Um, oh, it's it's linked if you go to the uh, lukehair.com page. We should probably toss that in the episode description, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So on the wiki, I went to a deep dive on every Buddy Brigade mission. <laughs> I've been on to figure out the characters we have met. And one of those characters is da, 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 Billis, the sad person who everything awful happens to. Oh no. Yes. So Billis, as we've mentioned earlier, was um, kidnapped by the Unjanov and held as a prisoner of war, which has really uncomfortable implications, if I think oh, geez. hard about it. So, um, Really going to be uncomfortable to find out some of that thing. But, so, I was talking, so I found out that about him. So, and the timeline fits, because Ellie's, like, in her early 20s. Um, but, um, another thing is, everything bad happens to Billis. And I was talking to my husband, who is also another player in the campaign about it. And he's the one who reminded me that Billis didn't die, he was in a coma. And which could actually be an interesting reason for keeping him alive. <laughs> that metagaming son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have words with Mr. Mike Bartlett. If you're listening to this, Mike, we are going to have words. <laughs> and this is how Malkador dies tonight. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's okay. I, I, I have, I have, to Mike's benefit. Mike has, Mike has metagamed a couple times, never in a, in a harmful way. But there was one session in which, um, actually, it was Yushe who summoned Ashmaker into the fray, and Ashmaker promptly got controlled by the main antagonist at the time, which is an Ableth, a three-eyed fish with mind control powers. And Mike DMs me in the middle of this combat. I was like, uh, hey, Christian, I, I don't mean to metagame here, but you know, 
Ashmaker has legendary resistances, so he wouldn't have been mind controlled here. And so on the fly, because Mike was right, uh, I had to come up with a situation in which Ashmaker was saved from being mind controlled because it was already in the canon. <laughs> you know, Ashmaker was mind controlled. People were freaking out. And so I literally had to do like basically a cliffhanger ending in which the buddy brigade ended up on the top of a mountain with Ashmaker behind a psychic barrier. And it was like hand wave, like, ah, yes, it is the, it is the psychic barrier that is protecting Ashmaker from getting mind controlled. And I had to sideline the entire buddy brigade <laughs> for a night. But also, wasn't Billis on that mission too, but he still got mind controlled? Billis was on the mission and did get mind controlled. <laughs> <laughs> so much bad stuff happens to him oh yes poor Phyllis man and maybe his daughter has been in front of him this entire time and man and the timeline does work out yep. in multiple ways as by golly gee I'm looking at the, the timeline for the buddy brigade and the episode, the uh, the session where he got introduced happened to be three <laughs> sessions into the buddy brigade's history Man, wow, talk about a coincidence there. I know, Ooh. right? Who it is as if, you know, some intrepid DM, uh, given a juicy backstory, um, you know, had planned this out from the very beginning. But no, surely, <laughs> surely such a DM does not exist. Clearly. <laughs> oh man, I, I realized I probably gave that one away uh to you <laughs> during this filming of the uh of our what the, the lost episode of Tales from the Outlands. Uh, and like I was like, ah, oh, you know, that that's fine. If you if you come on and do an episode with me and Luke, I am more than happy to answer some questions that you have about the campaign. Um and besides, it's not like it's gonna do you any good because he's in a coma. <laughs> exactly. Now we got to figure out how to get him out of a coma. That's what downtime is for. <laughs> and you know who has a lot of downtime? Billis. <laughs> Billis, what are you doing for your downtime? I don't know. I'm in a coma. Well, it's very serious. See, now I'm trying to figure out like an in-character reason for Ellie to want him to, you know, just be interested in fixing him. I mean, Ellie's a nice person, so she just might legitimately be like, Oh no, he's in a coma. We should fix him. Because <laughs> keep in mind, Ellie is the character who saw a sap demon um, who the party wanted to kill. She's like, no, I'll keep it alive in a jar and make him my friend. And she did. <laughs> in the in the RPG that I run, uh, RPG Pals Club, we've been doing a Waterdeep uh, Dragon Heist campaign. And we finally got to a big twist reveal in the game and half actually the entire party is angry about me for this reveal and one of the players tried to be like oh well i'm just going to have my character be suspicious of them and it's like why they have been setting this up for months so well actually only like three days have passed in the actual campaign because D D. but it's like you have no reason to be suspicious of them and they're like damn it I am so frustrated. It's it's fun having the divide between player and character. Ellie's gonna walk into like the the room where like Billis is I don't know lying, and someone's just gonna go, "Man, there is there. You guys have like the same chin line or something." <laughs> yeah, no one has commented this entire time on their uncanny resemblance. <laughs> you know, it was um. Now, now that that's out in the open, um, so uh, Shay, you told when you came up with your back history backstory, you left your parentage deliberately vague. I um, wanted to give no, me room to explore, and um, I very quickly came up with the idea that um, Ellie, uh, which is really funny because it, it even made sense, like we have two characters with the same name. There's Ellie Windrow, who we refer to as Scout Ellie. And then, uh, you know, uh, Ellie, one name, no last name, you know, Shay Ellie. Um, and even that makes sense because Ellie Windrow is a member of the Unjanath. Ellie, the the player character, you know, is, was born from somebody who is Unjanath. 
Um, so even that, like, you know, there, there was a, a, a bit of little, a little interesting parallel that, you know, kind of hinted at that pretty early on, which was totally coincidental because yeah. Ellie Windrow was a night one, you know, very first session NPC character. Um, but, you know, even that worked out. And um, I had, it was a lot of fun, like planting Billis in there early on. That's, that's what I came up with was, you know, uh, kind of like uh, this child born between the two kingdoms, you know, these, these two warring groups um, and, you know, how that would play out. And it was, uh, as a DM, sometimes you don't know if you're being too subtle or not subtle enough. This was one of those cases in which I was too subtle. <laughs> you know, it happens. And, you know, I, it does make sense because in the past we talked about, we ran into the bank guardian who apparently knows my entire life. Now, this is something Ellie's been running into a lot. All these people, there's so many people in the campaign that she runs into who know so much about her backstory, but they just won't tell her anything. So, uh, the bank guardian was like, oh, she's like, I don't know anything about my family. Please don't get mad at me. And he's like, oh, your family's interesting. You know? Oh, and your father. Ha ha. He's a character. And I'm just like, that's not helpful. <laughs> but so I actually thought he was evil for a little bit. Maybe Billis is evil. I don't know. I mean, maybe he, he has a villain origin story. <laughs> so many bad things happen to him. He sna finally snaps. I wouldn't blame him. So what do you want to see happen to Ellie over the next few months? So, well, I definitely want Ellie to figure out things about her family but also kind of like grow as a character and maybe eventually meet some more Njunoth and reconcile like all the crap the Njunoth did versus like what she sees with them and then trying to figure out like how to reconcile her origins and her family and someday if Billis ever wakes up and before he like falls down a well or something um you know trying to figure out that backstory and you know actually learn it figure out who her dad is as opposed to me knowing and trying to figure out an in-character reason for her to find that out. Well, we will have to see. I'm sure that our listeners will hear more about Ellie's exploits in the coming episodes uh, as we plan on doing this again, at least for a few more weeks until uh, we hit our stride. We're still in the test period for Tales from the Outlands. So if you mm -hmm. want to hear more episodes uh luke where can you find other episodes of tales from the outlands so if you go online and look for uh tales from the outlands we don't have anything right now like christian said this is a demo podcast right now that is part of the unbearable weight of nicholas cage and other podcasts feed uh you can find that site directly on my portfolio site luke hair l-u-k-e-h-e-r-r.com uh, so that's where the episodes will be going. It will also pop up on iTunes and uh, your other podcast systems like Spotify if you look for The Unbearable Weight of Nicolas Cage, which uh, is a podcast that my girlfriend and my co-host from another podcast do where we watch Nicolas Cage podcasts. There's also some actual play stuff. It's essentially a podcast portfolio. If we can get to a certain number of viewers listening every week, then... Uh, I am more than happy to pick this up as a regular thing, but uh, you can find that typically at lukehair.com. -E okay, uh, and uh, Shay, where can people find you on the internet? So you can find me on Twitter um, at Shay, S-H-E-A-H Bartlett, B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T, -T, um, where I treat about digital marketing, comics, politics and post pictures of my cats including the cat that you might have heard on this podcast today um i also have an instagram account shay in finway s-h-e-a-i-n finway like the park so um look at me up there and luke in addition to your website where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at, at @coltreg. That's K O L T R E G, where you can find links to all the podcasts that I do, including my soon-to-be wrapping up podcast with 350 plus episodes, Multiversal Q, 
Okay, and finally, you can find me at Seahoffercbus. That is my Twitter handle. And uh, you can also find my articles about Dungeons & Dragons, including some articles about this campaign at comicbook.com, which is owned by CBS Viacom, but is not affiliated with this podcast. Um, so thank you very much for listening to our first episode, our first official episode of Tales from the Outlands. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, feel free to give us feedback. Uh, tell us what you want to hear more about this this strange podcast, uh, this this strange uh, campaign that we play in every week. Um, yeah, and until next time, we'll do this again here in the, the next week or so. Uh, we'll do this for a few more weeks. Um, but until next time, keep adventuring. Yes, uh, keep adventuring and explore the Outlands. Have fun. Hope you survive the experience. May all your rolls be good.